How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Welcome back to Lives K3. I am so delighted that you are with me today. You know, just in case you are wondering, what again are the Lives K3? And what's this whole K3 thing? Well, I believe that a life of earthly excellence and sacred significance can be summarized in three endeavors. Number one, you got to learn yourself. There is an inverse relationship between self-awareness and self-absorption. What that means is the more self-aware that you truly are, the less self-absorbed that you will be. Self-awareness is not the same thing as self-knowledge. And I know that might seem like, huh? Well, some people have a knowledge of themselves, but they don't have an awareness of themselves. See, an awareness of yourself also is what tunes you in as to how other people experience you. If we don't understand ourselves and know ourselves, we are going to go through life oblivious to how other people are experiencing us, and that will incapacitate our personal relationships. It will also keep us from seeing just how much we need to grow in our spiritual life. So the first key is you got to learn yourself. The second one is to love God. Now, sometimes we tend to get learn yourself and love God. We switch those verbs. And we love ourselves and we learn about God. And that's not what we want to do. While we do want to learn about God, and that's one of the reasons for this podcast, just learning about God is not the goal. It is to love God. But it's kind of hard to love somebody that you don't know. And so we want to be able to do that. But the whole goal of that is to love God. And third is to live connected. We are designed as social creatures who must have connection with other people, not just for our own happiness and joy, but also for our own growth and maturity. That's just the way we're designed. And there's no more escaping that than there's trying to escape from the law of gravity. So those are the three keys. And even though I don't always explicitly connect some of the things that we learn and study about in the podcast to each one of those keys individually, everything that I teach is wrapped up in those three keys. Last week, we wrapped up our study of the book of 1 Samuel. And today we're going to dive into a very short book, and that is the book of Ruth. Ruth comes right after the book of Judges and right before the book of 1 Samuel. And even though it's a short book, it is also packed with some powerful stories. We're going to take reading through this book just a little bit slower, because if we cover this at the same pace that we covered for Samuel, we'd be done with this in one podcast. So we're not going to take eight weeks to do this, but we are going to take more than one. So today I want to just open up with the book of Ruth and looking at the first chapter. So when we open this story, what we see is there was a man named Elimelech, and he was married to his wife, Naomi. And they had two sons, and there was a famine in the land of Israel. They were Jews, and they lived in the nation of Israel. 
And so he decides he's going to take his wife and two sons and they're going to go live where there's not a famine. They're going to go live in Moab. When we are reading the Bible, one of the things we want to do is to pay attention to what is not there. What is not there is any indication that Elimelech prayed about this. Now, maybe he did, and we're just not told that, but maybe he didn't. We just don't know whether he had taken his family off to Moab because God had divinely told him to do that, or he just figured out that he thought that was going to be a good plan and packed them up and off they went. We also don't know exactly what the ages of the kids were when they moved off to Moab. We don't know whether they were 10 or whether they were 20. We don't know how old Ahimelech and Naomi were. What we do know is that they lived there for about 10 years. That's a long time to be away from home. Now, in our current society in the United States, with our longer lifespans, 10 years might not seem like all that long. But keep in mind that people didn't have the kinds of lifespans then that we tend to do now. So in modern times, we might think, well, that's more like maybe 20 or 25 years. So they're living in Moab, and it kind of seems like they decided they were going to settle in there because both of the sons end up getting married, and they marry Moabite women while they're there. That kind of closes in that it seems like the family had pretty much settled in, like that's where they were going to stay. While they are there, Naomi's husband dies. We don't know how long they lived there before this happened. We don't know what he died of. We just know he dies. She's left with her two sons. They end up getting married, and then they both die. Again, We don't know their age. We don't know what caused their deaths. Did they die at the same time? Were they both in some tragic accident? Did they get a virus? Was it five years separation between their deaths? We don't know. There's a lot of unknowns in this story. What we do know is that Naomi, after 10 years away from home, everything that she knew, all of her friends, all of her friends, family except for her immediate family who now have up and died. She has no husband. She has no sons. She has two daughter-in-laws. Now to be a woman without a husband or sons in that time period left you at the bottom of the heap of the economic pile. She was in an incredibly vulnerable position economically. This wasn't, well, I'll just start a side gig. This wasn't, oh, well, I'll just start a business. This was, I am in the most vulnerable position that a woman can be in in this culture. And Naomi decides, I'm going home. This was no small decision for her to make. She's going to go home to what? She doesn't have anybody left. She's been gone for 10 years. She doesn't know what she's even going to go home to. How many of her friends were still there? What had happened with their lives? What had happened with her property? She doesn't have a clue. She's heard through the grapevine as people traveled back and forth. I don't mean Naomi, but as merchants would travel on caravans, they would carry news back and forth. And so she had heard that the famine was over and she just decides, I'm going back home. So she packs up whatever she's got, and she sets out to go back home. And her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, both say that they're going to go back with her. I want you to get that for a minute. This woman, Naomi, has suffered with immense grief. 
she is in a place of extreme vulnerability. She doesn't have anything to offer them. And yet there was something in Naomi that was captivating enough that not just one, but both of her daughter-in-law say, we're going to go back with you. They start that journey. And then when they get to the point where they're going to actually like cross the border, Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you. And Orpheus says, all right, I'm going to go back home. Isn't that true for us that sometimes we are in a place where we are scared and we make a decision that this is what we're going to do and we work ourselves up and we pack up our stuff, so to speak, and we get to the border and then we kind of freeze and we want to go back to what's familiar to us. And so we turn around and we go back to what's familiar. I can't say I really fault Orpa for this because I know how many times in my life that I have meant very well, I'm going to make it across that. And then I turn around and go, I think I'm just going to go back to what's familiar here. But Ruth determines I'm going to go on. I'm going to move into something that I don't know anything about other than what I've been told. I have no firsthand knowledge. I have no firsthand experience of the nation I'm going to go to, the people that I'm going to live with nearby. I don't know what is in store for me at all. So why does she go? It's easy for us to kind of spiritualize this as if somehow she has some divine revelation. I don't see any of that in scripture. She goes because something about Naomi had so captivated her heart. That's why she goes. Naomi is not doing anything to try to get her daughter-in-laws to come with her. As a matter of fact, she's doing everything to say, go home. I got nothing for you, gals. If you come with me, I can't promise you anything. This is a woman who even in her grief demonstrates she is a selfless person. She's not there guilt tripping them into trying to come along. She's not there trying to say, well, I'm going to make you promises. If you come back with me, God's going to give you favor. She's doing everything but that. She's like, look, girls, I got nothing for you. I don't have a future. I'm not going to guarantee you some kind of husband. This is not the way we do things in our nation. You need to go back home and get on with your lives. So why is it that Ruth says, no, 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 I I hear you, but I'm going to still come with you. Because for however many years that she had known Naomi, she had seen something in Naomi that captivated her. And it's easy to think, well, it was just Naomi's belief in God. Look, if Naomi had just been nothing but a curmudgeony, grouchy, gripey, complaining, old, bitter woman, I don't think Ruth was going to say, sure, I'm going to come along with you. People don't want to come to God because we have a right set of beliefs. People want to come to God because we are engaging, interesting, kind, loving people who can capture their hearts, who have something to offer them, to show them, even in the midst of incredible grief, even when we are in a place that isn't where we want to be, we can still demonstrate by our character that there is something different about how we approach life and about how we live. So when Naomi finally sees, Ruth is determined. Ruth's not just going to come for a couple of weeks or a couple of months vacation with her and then head back to Moab. Ruth is determined. I mean, this girl has grit. She is determined. 
she has pulled her big girl boots on and she said, look, I'm coming with you like it or not. And she's not being hateful. She's being determined. You know, sometimes we just got to pull our big girl boots on and we just have to get out our grit and we just have to determine that we are going where our heart leads us. Even when people are trying to discourage us and say, no, 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 just go back to what you're used to. Just go back to what's comfortable. Go back to what's familiar. Sometimes we're going to walk into the unknown to really walk into our calling and our purpose. We just got to get some old fashioned grit and we got to just decide we're going forward no matter what. So eventually the two of them come and they wind up in Bethlehem and the Bible tells us the whole town is stirred because of them. I mean, they create an uproar. They are like the news headlines of the day. After 10 years, people had probably given up. They didn't necessarily know what had happened to Naomi and her family, but they had probably decided, okay, look, they either all died or they're never coming back. We're never going to see them again. People didn't pack up then and go live in different places of the world for a decade and then show back up. They, they didn't travel and have those kinds of experiences the way that we do now. And people were so shocked that they're like, is this Naomi? Naomi, is this you? And I love Naomi's response to her friend. Okay, you got to listen to this. When they come to her, they're like, Naomi, is this you? The, Naomi means pleasant. The, the meaning of her name meant pleasant. And Naomi says this, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara doesn't mean pleasant. Mara means bitter. Can you imagine walking into church or women's group or Bible study the next time that you're there and somebody comes up and they said, oh, hi, you know, Stephanie, how are you doing? And I'm like, look, don't call me Stephanie. Just call me angry. Or somebody says, oh, hey, Kathleen, how are you? And, and Kathleen says, uh, don't call me Kathleen. Call me depressed. Or hello, Bonnie Sue, how are you today? It's great to see you. And Bonnie Sue comes back and says, do not call me Bonnie Sue. I am not going to be Bonnie Sue today. I am bitter. Just call me bitter Sue today. We would probably all just kind of put up our hands and say, okay, back away. Where's the prayer card? Okay, uh, anybody got a recommendation for a counselor? But the reason that I love Naomi's response is because she's just honest. She's authentic. She is saying, this is my position in life. I am bitter. God has dealt bitterly with me. And you know what? You look at her life and who can argue with it? She's lost her husband and her two sons. She spent a decade living in a foreign country. She didn't amass this great wealth that she comes back with. And we know that because of what happens throughout the book of Ruth. She comes back with nothing. And she doesn't try to pretend that her situation is different than what it is. She just calls it like it is. And there is something so refreshing in that honesty. I mean, I wonder how much different would our church services actually be if everybody walked into church and we didn't just say, oh, yes, I'm great. I'm fine. I'm wonderful. If we really could walk in and we could say, you know what? I'm just ticked today. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm scared, I'm fearful, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm annoyed. There is something about authenticity that leads to healing. You are never going to have any kind of healing or growth in your life if you can't just be honest about where you are and how things really are in your life. 
So how is it that Naomi comes back and says, don't call me Naomi, call me Merit, which means bitter. Why is it that Ruth goes back with her if she's this old, bitter woman? Well, I don't think she's a bitter person. I think she is expressing the bitterness of the experiences that she's had. She's very real. She's very raw. And that authenticity captivated Ruth. This wasn't going to be somebody who was fake. She wasn't going to be somebody who hid from reality. And I think there was something very captivating about that for Ruth because Ruth knew she could count on her because she dealt with what was real. She wasn't trying to make light of her own situation. She wasn't going to make light of Ruth's situation. She wasn't going to try to hide and pretend like she had it all together. And she wasn't going to put that pressure on Ruth to have Ruth pretend like everything was great and that she had it all together. These were women who modeled what it is to step out, to move into the unknown, to go back to home for Naomi and to go into a new place for Ruth who didn't try to hide from or cover up the reality of their situation and what they had been through. And yet still in the midst of that, had a grit and a determination to not just sit helpless. Naomi doesn't sit back in Moab going to Ruth and Orpah and say, okay, well, you guys are going to have to take care of me. Okay, well, you guys are going to have to go find another husband and you guys are just going to have to provide for me because I'm just stuck here. Naomi gets up and she steps out. She goes back home. She does something. She actually shows a tremendous amount of courage in what she does. In this very short chapter, we see women who do not hide from the reality of their situations. They call it like they see it. They step out. They decide they're going to take some action while not trying to pretend like everything is just fine and dandy and they're just all great. And we're going to pick up more with this next week, but I love this because one of the things that we're going to see in Ruth is just this incredible timing that cannot be circumstantial as we work through this story. But the first chapter of Ruth closes out with this little bit of information, which is, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And next week, we're going to start looking at that little bit of information is so incredibly important. All right, my friend, if you haven't already, and you've heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again, because hopefully we have new people listening in, or we have people who listen in, and I get this because I do the same thing, and you hear the call, hey, go to my website, sign up for the newsletter, and you get a, you're going to be able to get a rich Bible study program for your whole family, and we hear things like that, and we're like, oh yeah, we'll do that, we'll do that. And then we get busy, right? We get distracted and then we forget. And then the next week we hear it, we're like, oh yeah, I need to do that again. Listen, if you take less than one minute, you can hop on over to stephaniepresents.com. You can sign up. It's right there on the very first page. Just scroll down. You just enter your name and your email and you can get subscribed to Highlight. And then along with this podcast, you have a rich Bible study for yourself, your family for out the entire year because we're making 2023 here the year of the word. All right, my friend, you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again because it's absolutely true. And you need to know this every single day of your life. You, yes, you have an impact that is immeasurable. It is eternal and it is irreplaceable. Believe that. 
live like that's true because it is. All right. See you next week. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.